welcome to our continuing 2018 educational webinar series. I am Catherine Short, Partnership Marketing Specialist for FIRST Healthcare Compliance. At FIRST Healthcare Compliance, we help you with a comprehensive compliance management solution tailored to your business, a hospital, hospital network, healthcare practice of any size, billing company, or skilled nursing facility. As part of our complimentary educational webinar series, we bring you experts from around the country to discuss relevant topics in the healthcare industry. We are so pleased to have Todd Sexton, Chief Executive Officer of Identelect Technologies. A seasoned professional, Todd has over 20 years of experience in managing dynamic business organizations. Over the past 10 years, Todd has been involved in creating and developing innovative email security applications, as well as championing their adoption across organizations of all sizes. Delivery Trust, the flagship solution of Adinelect Technologies, is one of the security products Todd has helped develop and introduce to the market. Todd is a HIPAA compliance expert and researcher, and he frequently lectures, authors, and advises on security compliance measures. A copy of the slide deck is available for download on the control panel. Feel free to submit questions into the question box on your control panel during the presentation. We will address questions at the conclusion of the presentation. Your PACOM CEU certificate will be emailed to you from PACOM following the broadcast. There is no need to request it. Additional CEU opportunities will be available to BC Advantage members following the live broadcast. See their website for details. Todd, go ahead. Thank you so much for that introduction. I appreciate it and thank you all for joining today. So, you know, what happens here with, you know, HIPAA gets so much attention that there's other regulations that come a, that are are connected to HIPAA that we kind of miss and we, we push by many times. So we're going to focus on um, red flags rule and really what it does is it is, it is something that um, sits right alongside HIPAA and really in different type of interactions. So we'll walk through that. We'll also work um, walk through what email security looks like as you're as you're complying with this regulation and some different internet threats that we're really being exposed to today that we'll try to give you a little bit more information on so you can avoid running into them in the future so obviously when we're when we're dealing with red flag rule we're going to go ahead and figure out how do you identify if you're running into red flags in in your practice how it's going to affect your organization well, obviously, it pairs itself with HIPAA audits and fines, so we can't neglect those, but realize that they can sit simultaneously together. So you could actually be violating red flag rule and you could violate HIPAA at the same time. So we're going to try to prevent you from doing that and we're going to walk through different ways that you can actually um, protect yourself. And then obviously the internet threats that we're running against. you know. Obviously, the more and more sophisticated we get with security protocols, the more and more sophisticated criminals get with different ways to access your network and to create inroads into information. So what we're going to do is walk through different ways, that things to look out for, ways in which you can protect yourself. And then really, what are the communication channels that we should even be worried about? Because some of them, you know, are more um, inherently dangerous than others. So let's get down to really what is the red flag rule. 
So obviously this one was, it sat alongside HIPAA, but really it started out in 2007. And it was really um, driven by the FTC. And what it did is it said, look, we have to not just protect personal identifiers, but we have to protect consumer aspects of identity theft. So some of these will overlap, but realize with red flag, it really uh, applies to different aspects of creditors or how you're attaining financial information or any type of fee-for-service based systems. So where we're really focused on PHI, this kind of goes a little, it, it you'll run into PHI aspects as well, but it runs into the financial aspects of it. So how does it really differ in the privacy rule? Obviously, HIPAA focuses solely on PHI, and we remember what that is. Our 18 personal identifiers, anything that defines you as an individual. However, when we go ahead and we take a look at the red flag, now we're talking about credit card information, tax ID number. Now, that's identifying your business, not necessarily you as an individual. It can if you're a sole proprietor, those type of things, but realize it starts to float outside the scope of personal identification. So we can see this in insurance claims, um, different background checks, and really dealing with your employees. So now you um, create another level of complexity as you bring in the application of your employees and how you commu communicate back and forth with them about their personal data. So now you kind of almost put them into a different category. So how can we go ahead and comply with red flag? So first off, you know, as we do with PHI and um, controlling HIPAA, we go ahead and have to have certain policies and procedures. And those are first, how do we identify or detect that there's a problem? And there's certain ways we're gonna walk through of how you can pay attention. What are some of the, the items that will come about and you say, that actually looks like it would fall into this red flag rule scenario. So first off, different types of patterns of identity theft, they, they run into a relatively normal sequence or a consistent sequence. And what that happens is when we're dealing with personal identifying information, there, there's when we run into inconsistencies, this is where we start to wonder. So first off, if you're dealing with a patient and all of a sudden their social security number does not match the other one you have on file, the um, address of what they provided is different than the one you have on file. Those type of things without um, a reasonable explanation really creates um, concern on your part. So these are some of the things that you have to start to train your staff. How do you look at this information and what should you, you shouldn't just pass by this because these are things that really are uh, significant indicators that there's a problem. Um, let's just see that um, mismatching treatment records, where you're getting treatment records that are coming over from a uh, referring doctor, and that information does not jive with the patient's history whatsoever. It does not come into play. So now you start to say, there could be something very wrong with this. And, and or if you say, hey, look, we're going to go ahead and provide fee-for-services with this individual, but there, there's a credit issue. 
and they have no understanding that they had any type of collection notice. So these are things that start to we start to really see. Um, indicators of identity theft, and then how can we go ahead and start to manage that? Well, first, we need to make sure we know what those are and we know what indicators are. Now, some of them you might run across that aren't actually, that there's a reasonable explanation for, but many times there's not, and so that's where we have to start looking and really looking at the information. So, first off, we're going to train the staff. Then, we have to have an investigatory process, so unfortunately, you kind of have to stop the wheels of progress at this point. You've identified that there is a problem, and instead of just saying, hey, we're going to go ahead and handle everything the way it should be, um, and we'll wait and figure out if there's a problem here, you kind of have to start to um, stop the wheels of progress, and you have to actually start that investigatory process and make sure that there isn't some identity theft going on. Um, now, when you walk through that process, you'll start to have really a list of check items that you can start to say, okay, this makes sense, we'll move forward with treatment and with process on this, on this patient. Now, um, when you're looking at uh, procedures um, that you're responsible for, for red flag, first off, gather all identifying information. You, you, you need to look at not just what is presented that seems incorrect, gather as much information as you can at that given time. Now we're able to have a little bit more forethought on having to define a report or an incident because what will happen is you didn't gather all the information, you've, you've notified the patient before you gathered the information that there seems to be a problem, and now we're not actually being able to contain or capture this process of identity theft. So you need to make sure that you get as much information as possible when you see that there is a problem. Um, so that you can go ahead and put that into your reporting. So rules for patient access. Now, this is where we start to look at how do we deal with that information of patients. Obviously, we come back to these PHI factors. Now, they'll co-mingle along with the red flag rule. Okay, so you may have items that, let's just look at number one, their name that you'll go ahead and you wanna say, okay, this is PHI I need to protect, but it's also financial red flag information I need to go ahead and protect as well. So those will run simultaneously together. So anything that creates two or more of these items, you, you can um, count on that it's probably going to be in the um, uh, violating PHI factors um, if they're exposed, and additionally, it could be violating red flag rule. So now let's go down the um, guidelines of what a, a business is really trying to follow. What are you trying to protect? Obviously, we know now that the 18 personal identifiers we need to go ahead and protect, but now how do I protect the information? What is the process? What is HIPAA saying? What is the red flag rule saying? Saying you must protect this information with end-to-end -end encryption or end-to-end -end security, okay? Now, there's a lot of misunderstanding about really what that looks like. So many systems you might use a tunnel or a pathway to communicate information, and the tunnel or the pathway is um, secure. 
That does not protect you based on what HIPAA regulations um, state and what the red flag rule states. What it says is you actually have to completely encrypt the information. Going through a secure tunnel is not enough. So true end-to-end -end encryption, how is that defined? It's in, defined by NIST. NIST is the National Institute for Security and Technology, and what it does is it certifies the encryption process. So if you don't have something that's NIST certified, that's what you want to stay away from. You want to focus in this area so that you're um, doing your due diligence to protect that information. Now, they want to make sure that that information is encrypted in transit and at rest. So we're looking at encrypting the data when it's sitting on a server. We're looking at um, encrypting data when it's being transmitted to the client, okay, or to a um, referring doctor. So now, one of the things that are starting to become more prevalent at this time, encryption is based on a key management, okay? I'm not going to get too technical with you, but it's an important aspect to define. These are done with key matching, okay? And that's what allows you to lock up the data and it allows you to unlock the data. Well, here's the biggest point that's starting to shift now in technology. Before, if we just encrypted the data, we were free and clear. Now, what it's saying is that those keys have to be verifiable, that there's true integrity behind them, and they have to be protected separately. I mean, it cannot be housed and contained with the data, okay? So there, constantly, and like what I spoke about early on, is as we're shifting, and we're moving more towards a secure environment, our criminals are getting smarter too. And so that's where each of these adjustments, and you'll look, adjustments are happening with these regulations consistently. And the reason why they're happening is because there's more threats out there. So when we're um, doing audits and enforcing security adherence, these are some of the things they're gonna look at. And obviously, if we're not um, managing to uh, our patient information to this level. This is where you start to record very significant fines. And as I've spoken in other lectures, how those fines can be enforced is based off of the, the effort and the abilities that you've put forth to solve these problems. You've put very little effort or no effort into um, concealing this information, you're gonna rise to a higher violation level. If you put a tremendous amount of effort and there's still some hole in your, um, in your security protocols, you're gonna drop lower in this because what they wanna see is that you have the intent to take care of and protect that information. Okay. So there's two aspects they're gonna look at. One is going to be administrative, and one is going to be physical, and then we'll get to the technical in a second. So obviously administrative, these are all the things that you're used to, okay? Security management process, um, you know, assigning security responsibility, how you're dealing with the workforce, um, what your training is, and, and really what we're doing if an incident actually occurs, and what is the plan that you handle. And then finally, business associate agreements. Um, you know, I, I know that they're the bane of many people's existence because they get challenging when you're dealing with um, outside vendors that are not providing you with them. So that is something unequivocally you have to make sure you're doing. You get those business associate agreements or BAAs 
from whoever you're doing business with. If you are not receiving that, you'll end up being a, falling into a category where you get liable, and it's because that you chose a, a vendor that doesn't understand the regulations or isn't providing that data behind it. So make sure you're focusing on that. Physical, obviously these are all standard things that you all know about, you know, facility access controls, making sure that there's limited access to your facility, you know, workstation use and security protocols. That means when somebody's walking away from their computer, those things are getting shut down, right? There, there's, there's definite security breaches, offices are being locked, all those different type of things that we're able to control. Those are the simpler ones. I know it sounds like a lot, but those are the easier ones, administrative and physical. Now, technical is where we start to run into more of a gray area. And what I mean by that is we don't really realize all the vulnerabilities that we can come up against. So where access control to your office, you know there's only three people that have keys and there's an alarm and we know that they can't get, no one else can get into there unless they're breaking in the building but the, the police are coming. So we know that, we're controlling that. Now when you're dealing with digital information, now it gets much more challenging because there's a lot of areas where they can access information that you're not necessarily um, always aware of. So. Who can see the sensitive content? This gets really important. Everyone in your office should not have the same access controls. And then, can you actually audit the security protocols that you have in your organization? They will want to see this if you get an audit um, from HIPAA. They will want to see, Human Health Services wants to see what are you, you put these things in place, but how do we know they're all working? What is your audit process? And then true authentication, can you confirm the information being sent and received is from the person it said it is? Because we're dealing with a lot of these um, exterior threats that are trying with phishing scams and things like that, that's why this is very important. So transmission of security, any communications must be encrypted end to end. So. The general rights with PHI, so individual must have access to their PHI being stored by a covered entity. So essentially, you need to be able to produce that information at any time. So also, we must be able to maintain um, for the, for the in, entirety of the covered entity, retains copies of the information. Now, we get a little bit in a gray area because there is no HIPAA-based retention policy to date, but if you are retaining the information, you are required to protect it through this entire time, okay? Um, individuals have the right to the access and to designated record sets, so billing records, enrollment, all of those things, so you've got to be able to produce that information. Now we're going to jump into business associates. We started on that a little earlier, and you know it, it can get to be a little bit of a slippery slope because this goes both ways. So think of it: if you are a medical facility and any company you do business with, I don't care at what level they are at, you must go ahead and have a business associate with them. It is absolutely required. And we're starting to see organizations get fined heavily for it, for not doing that because 
through that business associate agreement that that vendor or that organization that you're dealing with, what they're saying is, we absolutely um, have reviewed, understand the regulations, and are taking our responsibility that we're that we're protecting you in those areas. And if you don't have that, then the responsibility falls back on you as the entity. And we're seeing um, a lot of fines and a lot of ownership liability and C-level executives li liability. So this is becoming a real issue and realize even though your IT department or whether that's interior or exterior is putting something in place, they're not going to have the same level of liability that you are. And realize, you know, we're taking their counsel, but let's make sure that they're up to date because just because the individual or that group is up to date on IT in general, they may not be up to date as how it complies with the regulations that we need to deal with, red flag, HIPAA, so on and so forth, okay? So what are these audits look like? Because as we're running down this, we are going to be very susceptible. The audits are getting stronger. Um, you know, they've been doing them for several years now. Now there's a lot more um, efficiency and integrity behind what they're doing. So once you're um, contacted, you have 10 days to respond, and that'll be typically a phone interview. And through that phone interview, they'll determine whether there's going to be a physical audit. Um, so if you pass all of those, and if you've done all of your due diligence ahead of time, passing the phone audit will be very simple. There's, there's very specific ways in which they want you to handle things, and if you're following that pathway, you're going to pay fine, you won't have a physical audit. However, if something doesn't feel right to them, you do not have the right answers, and you absolutely haven't taken the appropriate steps to protect the information, now that's where we get into um, them coming to look at a physical audit. Now it opens up a, a lot more information. Now they're administrative, physical, and technical. So um, realize that you do not need to have a data breach to be fined by the OCR. When, when they are looking at things, they're looking at intent and integrity behind what you're doing. So it needs to really be focused on the fact that you've done your due diligence on what needs to happen and you've put steps in place. What I've noticed in, in the audits that I've seen though is that they are not trying to be overly aggressive. They're trying to change the way we handle information. So if you've done nine out of 10 things and you have one, one small problem, they'll go ahead and they'll um, say, hey, here's what you need to do to repair this, this aspect. I, I personally do not believe that they're trying to heavily fine organizations. They're trying to protect um, patients and they're trying to um, really reduce the amount of identity theft. But just because you're a small business now, it does not abdicate your responsibility. So that's really what's happened here is um, covered entities with 500 records, which is not much, um, they have to still have all these technical safeguards in place. So realize that you can really run into, um, you know, even if you're a very small entity, you're still liable at the same level of fining that a large entity would be. So now we get into the fines, and this is, you know, I, I, I really like this graph 
because what it does is it gives you a little clearer knowledge base. You know, we know that there's different fines for different actions, but when you look at, okay, if there was just, uh, if I wasn't aware, there was one aspect, I'd done all these things right, but there was something that I just didn't realize. Unknowing, when you look at that, they're going to, you're going to lean more on the minimum side of things, okay? And that's $100 per record violation. Now, I say it as, as only. It's significant, and we all realize that, but it can get much worse. And when we start looking at reasonable cause, meaning now you, you should have known. This is something that would have been inside your wheelhouse, your medical professional. You would know this information. Now it's reasonable cause. So now we look at the oh, $1,000 per violation because even though you say, well, I wasn't educated in that area, you should have been. It, it, it's something that would have been obvious. Now we get into a little bit more challenging of an area is willful neglect. Now this is something that you've you knew you had to make a proactive action, but you've put it off. It hasn't been on the forefront. You've been busier with other things. You haven't touched it. Now we get into $10,000 per violation. And if you've previously had an audit and there's been some sort of corrective action that has been requested, but you didn't make it, you didn't move forward with the requirements that they set forth, now you get into very heavy violation at $50,000 per violation. And obviously, at many businesses could never handle um, those type of fines and really stay active moving forward. So really make sure you're putting the efforts in to this to, to keep yourself safe and really keep your, um, your patient information safe as well. So now we start to look at what are some of the threats out there. You know, how does that really communicate with, obviously, everything is digital at this point. You know, there's very little um, communication that we do that isn't. And so as that's increasing, you have to go ahead and look at information in a different way, in a different perspective. And so now we're going to try to go through what are the pathways that you need to protect? How do you need to protect them? And then what are some of you know, the different um, security threats that are out there? So one of the questions that I get a lot is about faxes. It, it is surprising to me how many people um, still utilize fax machines. One, the technology is antiquated and there's, there's obviously you know, inherent challenges with it. But here's the biggest problem is even if you did, so there's some secure fax systems out there. There's few, but there are some. And um, if you use one of those, you don't always know who's on the other end of that. So if it's going to a generalized um, phone number, now there's a problem. Now, and most of these are not encrypted fax lines. You know, if, if you are dealing with some of the providers, they will have dedicated encrypted fax lines, but like I said, there's not a ton of them. You still have to have an individual on the other end. In order to be compliant, in order to make a fax compliant, I would need to know it was an encrypted line, place my fax in there, go contact 
them prior to sending it and make sure that person has received it, taken it off the fax machine, and that they, ha they have contained that information. That's the only way that you comply, okay? Then look at um, communications with insurances and referring physicians. Now, what we realize is likely you're going to have more than two PHI identifying factors. So auto automatically, almost any of those communications must be secure. And I, I deal with, I do um, evaluations on businesses all the time, and it's surprising how many miss that segment. They'll go ahead and they may have secure communications back and forth to their clients, or they say, well, we just don't um, communicate electronically with our clientele. However, they communicate with referring physicians all the time and they don't secure that data. So make sure that any of the communications that have these personal identifiers will go ahead and be um, encrypted. Now, inbound communications from your website is what I see most commonly. Um, that pathway must be encrypted as well. You are responsible for that information and how it's delivered. And this is one of the biggest challenges I see um, consistently. The concept of a generalized mailbox or a mail distribution list. So this incoming mail comes in and it's not secure and it goes to 10 people at one time. Well, you've had multiple violations there. So it has to be to a dedicated person, we know who is on the other end of that, and that information must be secured. So one of the things, and this, this starts to get a little, um, there starts to be a real misunderstanding about internal and external communication, and much of that happens when you're dealing with um, uh, how your computers are connected, and then what type of mail system you're utilizing. So for example, if in order for you not to have encryption on information communicating, you must have a true intranet. That means I can't speak to anybody on the outside. I can only speak to people behind our firewall, okay? That's the requirement. And that computer can also not have external access to the internet whatsoever. Now, how many systems are set up like that? Um, I see almost none, okay? So when you look at that, that means all of a sudden, if I communicate with somebody internal to my office behind my firewall, I still have access to the open internet. That, that computer is still able to get access. So once that happens, now all of a sudden, I must protect that data even though I've just communicated to somebody next to me. The other aspect of it is we, you know, as a society, we're moving to um, become a cloud provider society, meaning, you know, we're using Gmail and Office 365 and all these wonderful platforms and they really are fantastic. But realize when you go ahead and communicate to somebody that would seemingly be next to you, that communication goes up to the open internet, then comes back down to that individual. I know it happens in a fraction of a second, um, but it's going and it's making all these stops and it's going out into what we call the wild. So when we understand what's happening there, no communication is ever internal. Everything is external. 
Just because I'm communicating to somebody sitting next to me, it still has to go up to a server that is outside my communication path. So all this leads us to believe we have to protect every piece of information that we are emailing. Um, make sure as well that you have um, a system that can determine what PHI is, meaning if I go ahead and, you know, there, there's human error all the time. I go ahead and I'm communicating back and forth. You need to have a system that is smart enough to evaluate and examine the data that's being transmitted and say, what information is being transmitted falls into a PHA category and must be encrypted. Unless you go ahead and choose that every communication we make is going to be encrypted, which is not a bad way to go. Okay, um, so obviously we spoke about what happens from a cloud perspective, okay? So I, I, when we deal with clients, I would say at this stage, 70% of our clients are cloud-based now. So there's a whole new set of rules, and, and it's interesting because um, uh, Human Health Services, they go ahead and define um, O365 Gmail as a cloud provider, and they have a, a really a different set of rules for it, okay? And realize that when you're communicating, we'll go down each one of them, and where it is, you must protect, okay? So transmitting in Gmail information, now they're, um, when you transmit securely, um, the body of the email from Gmail user to Gmail user, that gets transmitted securely. However, when you go outside that perspective, now I'm no longer sending to a Gmail user, it's not protected. So you have different avenues where you fall outside the protection aspects of it, okay? I cannot guarantee um, security to any external email. Outside the Gmail platform, you cannot guarantee security there. So you, they also don't secure attachments. So when you're looking at this and you say, okay, all of a sudden, if I'm sending to anybody outside Gmail, if I'm putting in any attachments, I cannot guarantee the security. So it, it causes the, the, the implication that you need to have a exterior solution, something additional to that Gmail that will allow you um, to do this. Now, it was it's interesting because Gmail had been diligently working on a system that would really secure that information back and forth. And in February 2017, they, they made an announcement they were no longer going to be working on that development. Now, we don't really know what the future has um, in store for them, but what we do know is that they're actively not um, baiting, putting anything in beta or providing that to their users yet. So realize there there's still um, a void there and we need to go ahead and make sure that in when you're complying with HIPAA, when you're complying with red flag, that you're keeping these things in the forefront. O365, a lot of the same way. Now there's a little bit more um, technical requirements where Gmail is tends to be much more simple. O365 is more complex and it can do certain things, but you have to have a strong um, security team and development team on your side to ensure that you can actually provide these things, okay? And they run into the same um, aspects. Yes, they can secure it, but 
if it's outside their network. But when you go outside that network, now there's some challenges that exist for that recipient. So really make sure that when you're doing that, look at all aspects. You need to look at security, but you need to look at usability as well. So internet threats that we're really seeing right now, and we do a, a constant evaluation of what's happening out there. Um, ransomware is a big one, okay? You're going to run into the amount of losses that are happening are significant. And so what they're able to do is really, you know, your lifeline as your business is your data. It, 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 it is the value of how you move forward as an organization. If they lock that information down where you cannot access it, and that's what's happening a lot, and they're saying, look, pay us, and you still may never get that data. So realize, number one, always have a backup. I mean, you have to have an unconnected backup that solidifies and um, separates that information. Um, mobile malware, we're seeing a lot, obviously, with the billions of um, phones out there. And the, and the amount of different areas that users go to that uh, websites and different social media sites, we see a tremendous amount of um, a, a malware happening. And a lot of it's for tracking information, okay? There are passwording key loggers, things like that, that allow that external employee now because they're getting their work email address on there or they're connected to a work VPN, now there's true access points that those criminals can get. So you have to really be careful that you're not exposing your work data through um, an employee's personal um, mobile phone. Okay, um, one of the big things is I, 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 I consult a lot for different organizations and what I see is the significant lack of training. You know, there's there's a tremendous amount of information available to you guys. We're I mean, we're in the internet age, and and the amount of information to really disseminate to employees to let them avoid some of these internet threats are significant. So you have to go ahead and educate them. You cannot rely um, solely on technology to help prevent these things because. They get smarter, right? The criminals are getting smarter, and the way they're addressing things really creates a different avenue for them because it, it a lot of times it gets outside the technical realm, and they're using um, your hard work against you. You're wanting to be efficient and move through your day, and unfortunately, instead of being efficient, you're creating an issue. So be careful. Make sure that you're um, providing a tremendous amount of training for your staff. Um, the next thing is Internet of Things, and this has taken on a whole life of its own how all of the things that we have communicate um, back to the internet, just to get data, get updates, all that. Well, the problem is, is when IoT or Internet of Things were really developed when your um, HVAC system or your, um, your watch, all these things were talking to an internet signal. One of the challenges that transpired is, on, especially on the older devices, people for, never really comprehended that that could be an access point into your internet or into your network. And so there was no security placed on those devices. You'd go back and look at the target breach, okay? 
perfect example. Now, Target actually had their network fairly locked down. The biggest challenge that they ran into is that their, um, they, their HVAC system communicated with their network. There was no direct security on their HVAC system, so as soon as that was connected, they were able to tunnel in, right in to the network, and there was n literally nothing locked and nobody stopping them. And so that's where you saw these tremendous um, data breaches that transpired. Now realize that that gets more and more complex as everything we have really communicates with the internet. So as we, as we open up this big realm of trying to understand how to secure information and really what we can do to protect it, there becomes challenges, and one of the biggest things that we realize we don't want to do is create an impediment between our customer or our client or our patient and um, doing business because that's, they're our lifeline. And when they're frustrated, we all know what that looks like, and it's not pretty. And it really creates um, a, a difficult um, aspect for um, for us to move forward as, as um, business or, or um, medical facility owners. So one of the thing, big things to look at is what's the user experience. Many times security creates a poor user experience and you need to look for something that makes sure that it, it optimizes that. Obviously, there's always going to be little steps that are different when you're dealing with security, but what you can do is really minimize the, the onus that is placed on your client or your patient. Um, also, everybody makes mistakes, right? And one of the big things is how do you control your data? You know, many times we hit send and we have no longer have control of that data. So make sure whatever you're looking at has the ability to control how that data is handled even when it seems like it's not in your hands anymore. So that you can still contain and own that information despite the fact of being able to distribute it to um, a patient referring, better, uh, referring doctor, something like that. Um, infrastructure and maintenance. You know, a, you know, we deal with um, organizations from all sizes. Make sure that you have true updates done, make sure you're staying uh, uh, ahead of the curve, whether that's an internal um, IT department that you have, um, and, and realize that if the new products that you bring on create cause a tremendous amount of additional maintenance, the chance of those being deployed effectively are going to be a real problem. So you want to minimize the amount of effort on your IT staff, whether that's internal or external. So really what do you need to look at for your organization? Um, Identelect has developed a system called Delivery Trust and really what it's done is it's meant to take a lot of the um, challenges that you may experience in deploying security and taking that away from you so now you can get back to what you do best is run your organization. And how we do that is through one controls absolute true audit controls, restrict forwarding, printing, scanning the information to tell you if it contains PHI, we must secure it. We could put rules in there like that. And then obviously that, that uh, dreaded day when you send the 
wrong information to the wrong person, you must recall that. If you can truly recall that information, it saves you a, a tremendous amount of liability and a tremendous amount of problems. And then true policy enforcement, meaning can I ensure that my staff is using this information the same way every single time? You need to make sure it's compliant, it's simple, it integrates well, and it's cost effective. So really what Identelect has done is we've created the system that's simple, compliant, robust, and affordable, and it allows for you to get back with, to what's really important and not having to be encumbered with constantly trying to worry, is that information protected? And we have um, security professionals that are happy to go ahead and provide um, information on that also really help educate you on any of the um, areas where you don't have as much knowledge. They're, they're great about that and really would like to help. Um, we do, since we deal with um, first, hair com um, first healthcare compliance on a very regular basis and we, we have a great relationship with them, we go ahead and provide a 20% discount to all their valued members. So feel, um, feel comfortable in the fact that that um, value is being passed on to you. At this time, I'll go ahead and open it up for any questions that may have we may have at this time. Thank you, Todd. Um, we did have some questions come in. Uh, so the first question that came in was um, was this: uh, Is it our responsibility as covered entities to protect digital communications being sent to us from our clients? or are only outbound communications containing PHI? Okay, great, great question. So, interesting concept, right? Because you don't have a crystal ball. You don't know what information is necessarily going to come in to you. And even though you may try to, let's say that inbound from your website, you've made that information secure, but somehow somebody had an internal email address and they sent information and it wasn't protected. You're not responsible for that first communication. However, everyone after that you are. So when I receive an, a, a, a PHI that's coming inbound to me, I need to go ahead, contact that individual, contact that entity and say, let me make sure that you go ahead and have a pathway to secure that information in the future. You provide an avenue for them. Now you've done your fiduciary responsibility. Now you're strictly compliant and, and adhere to um, HIPAA and red flag. Okay, great, great. Um, we had a few other questions here that came in. Let me see what the next one is. Okay, the second question that we had from one of our attendees was, um, my experience with receiving secure encrypted emails in the past is that it requires me to register and create an account to access the message. Is this how your delivery trust security works as well? Yeah, so obviously they're, like, uh, like I'd stated earlier, the history of secure communication has been challenging. There has been always the impediment that is created because somebody has to go through these extra steps, set up an account, become a member, all of these things to read a simple message. One of the things when we developed our technology was we wanted it to be easy. We didn't want you to have to do that. And since when we're communicating, we're using the recipient or the patient's own 
pieces of information. They don't have to create an account. They don't have to go and set up passwords. It makes it seamless while still 100% complying with HIPAA regulations. So we really um, don't work on the same premise that you may have seen in the past, and we make that process very streamlined. Perfect, perfect, great. Yeah, it can be so um, onerous, and that's great, wonderful. Okay, uh, we did have a third question that came in. So um, it was this one. It says, um, my IT guy sets up firewalls on our systems to protect our patients' PHI. Am I correct in understanding that this means I do not require additional encryption for emails? Yeah, great question. So um, we, we alluded and got to some of this earlier, but understand, 100% if you're, if you're cloud email based, it doesn't matter if you have firewalls because that information must be go exterior in order to communicate back in. So no, you have to 100% encrypt all of that data, even if it's set to be internal. Number two, is even if you were on some sort of an intranet, which says, I'm actually not going out into the wild to talk, I'm just talking inside and behind that firewall, even if that were the case, if that computer has an open internet connection, meaning accessibility to the internet, it now null and voids that. So you have to encrypt that data in any transmission. When you look at it and you, you when you look at the regulation for HIPAA and how it's written and how they define information, they go ahead and put a significant parameters around, you, around the way you're supposed to protect this. And if you fall outside of that, now you open up a, a, a sphere of, of questions and a sphere of really understanding, did you choose the right avenue at the right time? My recommendation is always protect all of the communication it really um, makes it seamless and it really um, takes away a lot of uh, the uncertainty of falling into these traps and accidentally um, becoming non-compliant. Okay, wonderful. Well, um, thank you so much. I think that were, those were all the questions that we have here coming in from our attendees, but um, attendees, if you have any other questions that you think of, uh, you have the contact information for Todd there on the screen, and so you can use that contact information. Um, and then if you think of any later, um, if you, you can send us questions as well, and we'll forward them on. And you can also register for any future webinars or request a demo of our compliance solution on our website at firsthcc.com or call us at 888-543-4778. And I wanted to thank you, Todd, so much for joining us, and I wanted to thank our attendees as well for joining us today. So thank you so much. Thank you, and you have a wonderful afternoon. Thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you.